Our scripture reading this morning is coming from the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Hear now the word of God. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In an issue of Christianity Today, there was a poem by John C. titled, Sharon's Christmas Prayer. She was five, sure of the facts, and recited them with slow solemnity, convicted every word was revelation. She said, they were so poor... They only had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. And they went a long way from home without getting lost. And the lady rode a donkey, and the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. And they had to stay in a stable with an ox and a donkey, but the three rich men found them because a star lighted the roof. And shepherds came, and you could pet the sheep, but not feed them. And then the baby was borned. And do you know who he was? Her quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And then she jumped in the air, whirled around, dove into the sofa, and buried her head under the cushions. Children have always been better at understanding Christmas than the rest of us. They know that Christmas is actually about receiving, while we adults have gotten confused thinking it's about giving. But according to the story, God was the only one giving on the night Jesus was born. And what he gave was himself. If we don't receive from God on Christmas, then Christmas is just another Wednesday. Kids also know that when you look at something so holy or tell the most special part of the story, the only appropriate response is to dive for the sofa cushions. It's so vulnerable, so exposed, so incredible that you can hardly watch. I was telling the Christmas story to two of our MDO classes last week, and I told them about how God's people were always getting lost, and how they weren't very nice. So God decided to go himself and help his people. Do you know how God decided to go? And they had all these ideas. And then I told them, God decided to show up as a baby. And do you know what they did? They laughed. They laughed. And one child said, That's crazy! Because it is. The kids understand Christmas better than we do. Look at how they can barely sleep the night before. Admittedly, it would be charitable to say all that pent-up excitement and energy and anticipation is for baby Jesus. The energy is right. The rival of Christ, it's, it's that. This shaking, can't-contain-it, balloons-and-bubbly event. 
Because you don't deserve God's love. It's as simple as that. You don't and I don't. Collectively, we don't. We deserve punishment. And we deserve exile. And we deserve wrath. We deserve anger. Our lives, our hearts, they're stained by sin. Our sin, our culture's sin. We haven't honored God's call. We've neglected God. We haven't been faithful. We haven't lived in love or justice or treated our enemies with respect or forgiveness. And God couldn't just ignore the sin. God couldn't just forget about it. God is just and true and pure and perfect. In his perfection, it couldn't even be in the same room with our sin. But instead of leaving us to what we deserve, God found a way to hide us, to hide our guilt in Jesus' perfection, to hide our shame in Jesus' faith, to hide our fear in Jesus' love. And God gets so excited about this plan, which is a plan to neglect himself, a plan that ends with God not getting what God deserves. God gets so excited about this plan that will allow us to come home. God is so excited about this plan that will end with his son dying on a cross that God starts to sing. Which is strange. Zephaniah is a prophet, which means most of the book of Zephaniah is gloom and doom. God's people are not obeying. God's people are not following. God's people will be defeated and they will live in exile. But in the middle of this gloom and doom, God says he will rejoice over you with singing. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't belong. It's the wrong time. God doesn't realize this is the time for repentance and a reminder that we are sinners. And yet here God is singing that God will pay the price for our forgiveness, rejoicing that he will be faithful for us. And it's just weird. It doesn't fit. God sings in exaltation, which is the stand-up and really let it rip, sing from your toes kind of singing. Sure, silent night, holy night, sure, all is calm, and don't wake the baby, sure, the rules and time and place, and pay attention, but God just can't help it. He can't help it. He's so excited and so hopeful and so proud that God just has to sing. And God's joy, it's so big and so grand and so loud that God rejoices over us. God delights in us, and God's joy is so big, God just can't stay still. Book of Revelation. It interrupts. It's disruptive and and it's inconvenient and it's at the wrong time. But God can't help it. God can't help it.
Like that first Christmas, God's joy interrupts. It's unexpected. There's a reason hardly anyone notices. No one was expecting it. It's not wrong that Christmas is holy and sacred and quiet. That's not wrong. But Christmas is also joy. It's a God in the flesh being born as a baby. And it doesn't feel like it belongs. It's intrusive. It's too much. But God can't help it. The joy is too much. So God has to dance and to sing. And often our impulse is to try and stop God. To try and help God keep his dignity. This isn't proper. But we can't stop the joy. We shouldn't stop the joy. We don't have it that much anymore. That kind of explosive, reckless joy. In India, they tell this fable of a tiger cub who lost his mother and was adopted by a family of goats. Does anyone know this fable? Yes, something new every day. (laughs) The tiger cub is adopted by a family of goats, and the goats raise the tiger to speak their language, that ah, and to adopt their ways and to eat their food. And soon the tiger believed he was just a funny-looking goat, bleeding to his friends and eating grass, And then one day a king tiger appeared and all the goats scattered in fear except the young tiger who was left alone, afraid and yet somehow also unafraid. And the king tiger asked him what was going on. Why was he living with these goats, acting like a goat? But all the young tiger could do was (laughs) nervously and eat grass. And so the king dragged him to a pool of water and forced the young tiger to look at the reflected images. And he hadn't looked at himself before. He hadn't realized. He'd always just assumed, but side by side, the truth became clear. And then lashing his tail and digging his claws in the ground, the young beast raised his head and the whole jungle trembled at the sound of his roar. It doesn't take a prophet to know that humans have become less than we were created to be. Like Adam, we have all lost paradise, and we still carry the longing for it in our hearts, but we settle for being so much less. The calling of the church, it isn't to help us cope with our lives as goats. It's not to help us feel okay that we've settled for bleeding and eating grass, but this is fine. This is just life, isn't it? We're okay with this. But it's not. And we come here. We gather in church to hold our lives beside an image of Jesus. Jesus who cared too much. Who was always getting hurt. Always being rejected. Always looking foolish. Jesus who loved his friends so deeply that it wasn't cool anymore. It was too much. It was embarrassing. He cared about them so much that you wanted to bury your head in the cushions of the couch. It was too vulnerable. Jesus who took life, who didn't walk to and fro bleeding and wandering where the grass looked the greenest. He seized life and he pursued it. And when he caught it, when Jesus caught life, when he healed someone, when he was laughing with his friends, when he forgave, when he brought someone close and brought them in and showed them how they were meant to be, showed them that they were a child of God, when Jesus did that, he didn't 
high five. He didn't pat himself on the back. He would roar. He would dance. He would flash mob and it was indecent and too much and over the top, but only for a world that didn't understand. That Jesus wasn't just helping people feel a little better. Wasn't just helping people be good people and buckle their seatbelts. He was saving lives. He was saving souls and saving families. He was rescuing his friends and his family. He was healing people and setting them free. And we don't often live in that world. In our world, caring too much is naive. Fun is childish. Foolishness, laughter, and joy, it's the realm of children. And we're adults. We had to leave that behind because the world is a serious place. That's just not quite true. Because we were not created to be tigers living like goats. We were created to be tigers who live in the image of our king. Did you know that now, right now, God is singing a song of joy over you? Doesn't that feel weird? It makes me feel like I did in middle school when my mom wanted to tell me how much she loved me as she walked me into the school. That's not cool here. That's not cool. People will think I'm a loser. You need to stop saying that. And you know how much my mom cared, not a lick, so her response was to hug me. Because her love mattered more was deeper, stronger, richer than the passing judgment of some kid in my class. She wasn't ashamed of her love. She was proud. She rejoiced. She would have sung a song over me. Thank you, God, that she did not. (laughs) Why do we get ashamed of God's love? Why do we back away from his joy, from how much he cares? Because the world tells us that being a Christian isn't cool. That following God's rules is lame and suddenly... But God is singing a song over you. Singing a song of joy because of you. The mighty warrior who saves you is singing a song over you. And the call from Zephaniah is to be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Not just to feel it in church, but to live it. To find joy in family is to love them. And to find joy in school is to learn. And to find joy in work is to be productive, to live with joy, to join God's song of joy over others by singing with Him, by loving them. I don't know. Maybe it is childish. Maybe it is naive. But as far as I can tell, whatever way you live, we all end up in the same place one day. We will all end up dead one day. And I'd like to get there by a road that will have mattered when I reach the end. I want to end with joy in the life that I lived. A life like Jesus. A life like Jesus. So we roar. We roar because God created us in his image. We roar because God continues to draw us into himself. And we roar because God delights in us. God delights in you and we delight in him.
And it seems childish and naive or like it, it doesn't fit this explosive joy in a sad and dark world. It doesn't fit. It's like a flash mob in a liturgical service. But it does. It does. Joy is an interruption. It can be an inconvenience in an otherwise dark and serious world, but it comes through the Christ child, who is also an interruption, who is also unexpected and inconvenient. But God interrupts the world of sin with a Savior. So God can't just show up at Christmas without singing, without dancing. Because he wants to get the joy all the way into the darkest corners of our hearts. So to really understand Christmas, we have to sing. And we should dance. And you can breathe. I'm not going to make you dance. We should join Walt Whitman, who says, I too am not a bit tamed. I too am untranslatable. I found my barbaric yop over the roofs of the world. You should yop. We should yop. Better yet, you should roar. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, uh, we admit that your call to joy makes us uncomfortable. That we'd uh, rather dodge it. We'd rather avoid it. But when we acknowledge what you have done in your Son, When we acknowledge the gift of Jesus Christ, we know that there is nothing we can do but sing and dance to join in your joy. So Lord, this morning we worship you with joy because of what you have done and what you are doing. We sing and we pray with joy in our hearts. God, we we hope that this gives you joy as well. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.